Welcome to the Cello Sherpa Podcast, where we explore all aspects of the climb to the summit from intermediate musician to the professional stage. Check us out online at thecellosherpa.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at thecellosherpa. I'm Joel Dallow, your host. I joined the cello section of the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra in 1999 and founded the Riverside Chamber Players based in Roswell, Georgia in 2003. Today's episode is sponsored by Clear Resources, your premier resource for compliance, legal, ethics, and risk. For more information, visit them online at clearresources.com. Chris French has been the associate principal cellist of the Houston Symphony since 1986 and teaches orchestral repertoire at the Shepherd School of Music at Rice University. In 2003, he became certified as a personal trainer, and we thought it would be great because of his unique double life to chat with him about what musicians should be aware of when working with a personal trainer. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Cello Sherpa podcast. It's a pleasure to be here, Joel. Thank you. Before we talk about the main topic, I would like to know a little more about what growing up in a house as the seventh of an octave of children was like. It's It's been, I mean, obviously really wonderful for me being towards the end of the line. But I have to tell you, we never all lived in the house at the same time. Oh. So my oldest sister is 80. Wow. And we go down to 58, 57, something like that. Yeah, so it's 58 years old. So there's a big range on all of us. Yeah. A lot of musicians. We have piano, harp, percussion, trombone, voice, saxophone. Did I say harp? Yeah. We have yeah. like four harpists in the family. <laughs> and are they so professional musicians us. too? Or does everybody just happen to play no, something? No, only, I think only three of us ended up doing it as a profession, two church musicians and one who's a music therapist Okay, in Cleveland. Yeah. Who's also earlier a hospice nurse and then who played for patients uh-huh. and then myself in the orchestra. Yeah. One of my sisters sings in the Cleveland chorus too. Oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah. So being the seventh out of eight, I guess you had lots of older siblings to make sure you were staying out of trouble, right? Yeah, but they're just as busy as everyone is in a household like that. There's no time to get in trouble. You're always doing something. So <laughs> That's probably yeah. why your parents had you all working on instruments, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure there's a science to what they were doing. Yeah. yeah. So you've been teaching a really successful orchestral training class at Rice, where your students have done exceptionally well in orchestra auditions. Can you tell us a little bit more about that class, what you cover, and how it's structured? Yeah, because... All undergrads have to have three semesters, and all the graduate students have to take it all the time because the school's geared toward orchestral, uh, you know, a life in, in an orchestra. Uh-huh. And so it's preparing for auditions. So I use like a two-year rotation of standard repertoire, and it's geared towards auditions. Uh-huh. So we have a midterm mock audition, and you have a final individual audition for me alone. And everyone has to play, I would say, four or five excerpts each week in class, which is, you know, that's a lot harder than it sounds because you're you're choosing yeah. the hardest places in the hardest pieces and having to play them in front of your peers. But it's working. <laughs> I'd say, yeah. I think since I've been there, we have placed, not we, I can't take credit for any of this. I, I only teach Norman Fisher's, Desmond Hobig and Brinton Smith's. I teach their students, so I don't teach them private lessons. Out of those years, we have placed in 19 orchestras around the world. 
Wow. Well, you definitely should take some credit for that. I mean, you're working specifically on that repertoire with them outside of their lessons. And as much as their principal teacher, of course, is helping them become great musicians and great players and great instrumentalists right. on the right. cello, you're really refining that skill at the audition and refining the knowledge of those excerpts, which is so important because so many people are missing that in their regular lesson time. So there's certainly put the yeah. credit where yeah. credit is due, but that's, that's impressive. No, I, I mean, I, I totally lucky. It's not exactly a low key class, but we <laughs> we do have fun. I'm sure not. Well, what led you then as a professional cellist to become a certified personal trainer? Joel, in 2003, or maybe it was 2002, the orchestra was going through a nasty negotiation, truly nasty. And after a year of really arduous, torturous negotiations where it was going nowhere, we could see the writing on the wall. We knew that probably for the first time in the history, the hundred year history of the orchestra, we were going to have to be out of work. Mm -hmm. And so we, as a committee, advised the musicians, you guys prepare for the worst. And I had to do exactly what I was telling them to do, telling my, yeah. my colleagues to do. And I went and took a nine week course at University of St. Thomas here in Houston and got my certification so I could have clients and a way to make some money. As it turned out, I think we were only out of work less than three weeks. Uh -huh. But I kept doing it because I love it. And I, so I keep about, I would say, 10 hours a week set aside for clients. Wow. Are you doing any of that over Zoom or is all of that in person at this point? Ugh. I once did a, it was a youth orchestra during Zoom. I was asked to help keep them physically in shape. I did that. And then I've done it at music festivals with younger kids. But no, I hate Zoom sessions. I, I need to be there in the room with them. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I actually have a personal trainer that I've never met in person because I really? started working out with <laughs> him a year ago over <laughs> Zoom. <laughs> so, And it's actually worked out really great because I have my own gym at home and he sure. always is able to work a workout around my own equipment. So it works, right. it works pretty well. Fantastic. Actually, I was thinking how everybody would do it that way. So it's, it's interesting to hear your take being the opposite of that. No, I mean, if I wanted to, I'm sure I could be as busy as I wanted. And that sounds like I'm patting myself on the back, but I don't want too much of that because I'd like to have it all finished by nine or nine 30 in the morning. Oh, okay. So all of mine are early. Start at 5 a.m. <laughs> I once had a boot class that was 5 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're doing this on a pretty much a daily basis then, I guess, before rehearsals? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you like to get up early then? Oh, yeah. Yeah, very definitely. I'm a morning person. Even after concerts at night? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, getting through the second half of a concert is sometimes <laughs> a trick because I'm ready to go to sleep around nine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine yeah. so. So are all of your clients musicians? No. No. It's a wide range of people uh -huh. uh, and a wide range of ages. I do train a lot of musicians over time. Yeah, it's a mix, a wide mix of people. And what kinds of things do you keep in mind when you're working some with someone that is a musician as far as training versus if they're not a musician? First of all, when you design something, for those of us who are self-starters, you know how so many musicians are. You don't need to stand over them for every single thing. Mm -hmm. You can design a program, and once they know exactly how to utilize the muscles in question, they can do fine by themselves. Some choose to work out every time with me, which is great. But as far as specific things for musicians, of course, 
body awareness and posture and mm-hmm. taking care of the shoulders. Mm-hmm. Shoulders are the, the things we're going to mess up. It doesn't matter what instrument you're playing. I've had flute players who have neck issues or shoulder issues. Anyone has got to have their shoulders in shape. How do you handle that? Because I think I would say the same thing. Shoulders are probably the biggest issue for me with exercising and playing and staying pain-free. It's such a complicated joint to work with. And I often wonder, am I doing the right things with my trainer to avoid injury when it comes to playing? And what what would some of those kinds of things be? I have to back up. I, I prefer a full body workout for everyone because our core is so important. Did you read Cello Technique by uh, Gerard Mantel? I don't think I'm familiar with it's that. It's Indiana Press. Okay. Anyway, there's one chapter, Gestalt of Movement. You are using your hips when you play. You are your quads. You're moving all over when you're playing the cello. Being in shape generally is good for us so we can have a long safe career. Having said that, you asked specifically about musicians and the shoulders. Yeah. So we're small motor athletes. The little things we're using on our fingers, our wrists, slight movements on the shoulder, those are very small muscles to be working. However, you need the larger muscle groups in shape, long, supple, relaxed muscles. That helps us play. I'm not saying not larger muscles. You certainly don't need a lot of muscles to produce a beautiful big sound on our instruments. Violin, especially, you don't need that. In cello or bass, you don't. Mm-hmm. It's more having proper form. So this is sort of hard to do on a podcast, but I'm going to tell you for the shoulders, we have all those stabilizing muscles in the rotator cuff. There are actually 12 muscles, but specifically the supraspinatus the subscapularis, which is the forward-facing muscle on your scapula. Okay. And then you have the teres minor. There are several more, but those are the ones. If you can warm those or pre-fatigue them before you get into your other body work, like the your pecs or your, your lats, if you can pre-fatigue them by activating them, then you know that you can stabilize your shoulder joint before you work with heavier weights. Uh So internal, external rotations with a stretchy strap, an exercise tubing Uh to the side where you're not only pulling towards your middle, you can turn around and actually with the same strap, pull outward, external rotation. And the whole idea is to activate those muscles so then you can depress and retract your shoulder blades Gently, you don't do anything really hard, just enough to have your shoulders depressed and retracted. And now you can apply weight. Our shoulder joint, they call it, you know, ball and socket. It's actually more like a cup and saucer. And this, your humerus, your upper arm moves around in that shoulder joint. Uh And we want to stabilize that by depressing and retracting. And now you can add weight for say lateral delt lifts where you're pulling the weight out you're abducting your upper arm yep. away from your body that's a way to to build up the deltoids what our problems as musicians ends up usually being overuse things like tendonitis sometimes shoulder impingement uh-huh. overuse 
type things. But to have endurance, it's good to have the larger muscle groups have endurance. And the only way to do that is by using them regularly. That's chest, back, shoulders, biceps, your triceps. So if you're working out, then I have a workout schedule for today. Is there something that I should keep in mind and do ahead of that workout? It's just a 30-minute workout. It's pretty high intensity because it is full body. So we always cover the big muscle groups and the core, and then obviously some of the smaller muscle groups along with that. But is there something that I should be aware of as a professional musician before I head into the workout with my trainer to avoid potential injury? I don't know his method of working you out. I personally want my muscles warm before I work out. So I do a light aerobic, simple. It could be jump rope. It could be jumping jacks. It can be burpees, something to get you you're warmed up. And then I do what they call rhythmic stretching, which for us, not rhythm like musicians, but it's <laughs> range of motion stretching exercises. They don't have to be you know, 12 to 20 seconds long, like we do for interset stretching, but they can be at least range of motion where you open up your chest, your actually your glutes and your legs, everything. You want to go through a range of motion warmed up and then proceed with your workout. I don't know if your trainer does that. I do that with all of my clients. Yeah. I mean, usually I think it's my job to warm up ahead of time because it's just a 30 minute session. So yeah, then definitely that's what I would do for sure. Yeah. That's, that's very helpful information. And then is there a difference? I know you said that all musicians need to be careful about their shoulders, but is there a difference when you're working with, let's say wind players or a pianist or harpist or string players? Do you have to do things differently with those instruments or are you still looking at the same principles? It's the same principles, but each person is different. Each person's going to have an issue that they're working with. Like, for instance, I've got this 40-year-old. I'm no longer training him right now. He's a former Army Ranger who, incredibly strong, but had a bursa, inflamed bursa in his shoulder. So getting him warmed up is going to be different than, say, a uh, 70-plus-year-old violinist who's fit as a fiddle. I mean, yeah. really, he's going to take a little different warm-up than she is going to take. Uh-huh. So everyone would be different. I know I can't say specifically that I would train a harpist differently because most of the people are going to tell me what their issues are before we start. So it's more based on the person and what issues yeah. they're having than what they do for a living. Yeah, yes. Would you say that there's any particular exercises that trainers typically use with people that musicians should avoid because those could be more injury inducing than for other people? Yeah. Because of the shoulders, I would say with my hands overhead, I worry about impingement syndrome. So where you can trap your nerves Mm -hmm. or the muscles are too tight above your head and then you get upper arm issues, even down to your fingers with impingement. There are ways to combat it. So I can't speak. It can't be a universal answer. Like I train a seated military press with dumbbells. Sitting down and putting your arms above your head with Above your head with dumbbells. Not with with a straight bar, with dumbbells. Okay. And the way I like to do it is if I'm facing directly forward, my eyes are forward, I can see my thumbs peripherally in front of my body. If I get too high, then they're like over my head then I know I'm risking impingement on the shoulder. So okay. overhead issues, uh, you know, I'm careful with. I don't like using a straight bar for a bench press mm-hmm. because 
you know, when you're on your back and your hands are directly going in line with each other because they're gripping a bar. Yeah. That means they're no longer doing what the chest was designed to do, which is horizontal adduction. It's bringing your hands together. Uh That's what our chest does. And the bench press is great for, say, your anterior delts and your chest. It's, I mean, it's not great. A bench press with dumbbells is safer. So yeah. especially for musicians, that's what I would do is dumbbells. So I can make the chest do what it's designed to do in the exercise. Especially musicians are good at something we call neuromuscular adaptation. It's where we, once you feel what the muscle is supposed to do, you can make it do it uh-huh. because you know, and we're real aware of our bodies like that. Yeah. That makes sense. And that's good because I actually don't own a straight bar. I only have dumbbells. So good all of you <laughs> just happens to be that way. <laughs> and then how about fixed equipment, machines with straight bars, lat poles, things like that? Do you find that those help you get into a better position or are there things to be aware of when you're using? Like I have a combo gym that has, other than free weights, it also has lat pull down and it has bench press and fly and it also has some leg exercises. And I wonder sometimes, does that put me in a better position to make sure that I'm doing things correctly or are there things to also be aware of on those kinds of machines? Oh, I I love those things. Those are great. Yeah. I I like to mix it up. I don't like to do the same thing every workout anyway. You know, I find it hardest when you don't have a gym with machines. It's hardest to get a really good, strong back workout because I would love to be able to do with my home clients, a lat pull down with a bar. Uh-huh. Since you specifically asked that, I wouldn't go behind my head. Actually, I'd lean a little forward yep. to do it. That's my personal feeling. In it. So let me ask you about tendonitis though, because that is another thing that I have also struggled with over the years, especially in high school. When you have tendonitis issues, do you think that that can also be related to muscle weakness because the tendons pick up the weakness? And if so, is there a way to work within that? I personally believe that, yeah. I think if we're stronger overall, first of all, if you're stronger overall, you're going to recognize muscle fatigue. And if muscle fatigue sets in, then you can develop bad habits with the small muscles, Mm -hmm. with the small motors that we're talking about. And this is strictly overuse. So practice habits are really important to know when you need to back off. Yeah. And so personally, with my own cello students, I like them practicing 20 minutes and put that bow down and sit for at least a minute or two. Okay. And then proceed after that. Just give that little bit of rest to it. I once had a shoulder injury, 1996. We played Shostakovich 5. And then right after it, we went into um, Handel's Messiah. Uh-huh. And so they're totally different kinds of playing. You have that big third movement of the Shostakovich. And then all that Messiah where you're out at the point and all that light playing, and it just goes on for two hours. Yeah. That, I thought I was going to die. Wow. And that's probably just overuse. Yeah. And I don't know if you can be strong enough to do those two things in succession. Do you also then give your students a cello warm-up routine before they jump into repertoire that they should be doing along with just like if you would warm up your body before you weight train that you better be doing something before you sit down and try and play your concerto? I don't do it in my lessons. No, I don't. Those are sort of separate lives. If they ask or if they're having injury stuff underneath my piano, 
in my practice room uh-huh. are all my weights, the exercise balls, the straps, and everything. They see, <laughs> they know what I do for <laughs> on the side. So I think it's sort of um, by osmosis they know to take care of themselves. But if they have issues, then we discuss it. But no, I don't give a specific routine to them. How about you? Do you do that? Well, I guess I think I do it more in the. I would say that I start with scales all the time and make right. sure that my students start with scales. So I do it specific to the cello. Yes. Because I find myself, same thing, even if I just walk out on stage and try and play a concert without having played any scales or any warming up, right. I'm usually sitting on stage practicing some scales before the concert starts just to get the blood flowing. And I find that if I don't, you feel it in your arm, like everything's just extra tight, just that extra 10 minutes even can make a big difference. Absolutely. So that, that's really probably as far as I go. Yeah. Totally agree. And I do the exact same thing. And and I encourage my students the same. Scales first. Yep. Yeah. And also it gets your ear in the right place, which of yep. course we all need every day. So is there anything else we might have missed? It just that I'm just a little uncomfortable doing this on a podcast. I guess I would really love for anyone who wants to work out, and I think it should be all of us across the orchestra, actually in life in general. Yeah. Hire a trainer once or twice and and ask the same kinds of questions you're asking just to make sure we're smart about form and the whole process of you know progressive resistance and what it means to get stronger and why. I mean, we aren't you and I are not lifting to be bodybuilders. We're lifting to have long injury-free careers. Yeah. So I want to last forever because I absolutely love my job in the orchestra and I don't want to be out injured. So hire a trainer once or twice, figure out what you're doing and then make it a part of your life. Yeah. I think that's great advice. We had Dr. Dan Benardot, a nutritionist, join us for episode three of this season, talking about the same types of things and how to treat your body. And so it's great to be able to tie these things together. How do we eat? Do we sleep enough? Are you exercising? If you are exercising, are you doing it properly? Because I can say from my own experience that the years where I didn't use a trainer, I usually ended up with something bothering me, something in my back, something in my shoulder. So the form is so important. And would you say that with your clients, do you see them more than once a week? I'm sure it varies, but on average, do you see people more than once? Some I see three times, some I see twice. And then I have satellite people who come in every once in a while just to brush up or change up the routine. Oh yeah, because if you don't change your routine, your body gets used to it and then you're not getting the same benefit. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the Cello Sherpa podcast. Thanks a lot for having me, Joel. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Cello Sherpa podcast. Be sure and catch our next episode where we interview Jennifer Kletzel and Bob Koenig, who just released a new album, Beethoven, The Conquering Hero, complete works for cello and piano. We talk about the entire process of undertaking a huge project like this and what steps to keep in mind when considering tackling a recording project. We're here to serve you. So if you have questions or topic suggestions you would like to cover in future episodes, please use the contact page on our website, thecellosherpa.com, or tweet them at us, at thecellosherpa. You will also find information about the specific services we offer on the website. Don't forget to follow us and rate us on whatever platform you get your podcasts. This helps us climb the rankings so other people can find us. Today's episode was produced, edited, and recorded by me, Joel Dallow.